This is 10 Minutes of Science, a Women in Ophthalmology initiative supported by Johnson & Johnson. We have invited ophthalmologists who are leaders in their field to discuss a journal article of their choice. My name is Robin Troutbeck. I'd like to introduce Dr. Tanya Trin. She has an interest in cornea, cataract and refractive surgery. She is working at Sydney Eye Hospital as a, as a staff specialist and was appointed keratoprosthesis surgeon for Australia's keratoprosthesis clinic at Sydney Eye Hospital. Welcome, Tanya. Thanks, Robin. Thanks for the warm welcome and thanks for the invitation for this podcast. Could you begin by telling us the name of your article and why you chose it? Sure. So my paper chosen for this podcast was LASIK Long-Term Outcomes in Late Adolescence, and this was published in the European Journal of Ophthalmology. And essentially, this paper evaluates the long-term outcomes of myopic LASIK in the late adolescent population, defining this really as the ages between 17 and 20 at the time of surgery. And I chose this paper because it's not just about refractive surgery and its role, um, but it's also because as ophthalmologists, we recognize that the myopic burden is significant and is estimated to be some 50% of the world population by 2050. And we as a profession have an increasing role to play in the prevention of myopic regression. We know that there's a significant correlation with glaucoma and cataract and myopic maculopathy. And the ocular morbidity is huge, you know, for myopes up to three diopters um, or over three diopters, they have a four and tenfold increased risk of a retinal detachment. And globally, uncorrected myopic error is estimated to cause approximately $244 billion worth of lost productivity. And so although refractive surgery is a widely accepted treatment for myopia, the utility for curving myopia progression in the younger age groups is really unclear and hasn't been scientifically established. And I think this paper begins to challenge the norms and parameters in which we think laser refractive surgery is safe by starting to objectively look at our data. You know, traditionally, as certainly as a registrar, you know, the general ophthalmologist or optometrist would think of criteria for laser vision correction as being over 20 years and at least with one or two years of proven refractive stability. And with good reason, because this is a population with theoretically, you know, non-stable refractive errors. The risk of myopia progression is, is thought to be higher the lower the age at the time of surgery. And younger patients, you know, understandably might be a little bit less reliable under the laser scope. They might have more anxiety. And this causes more problems with fixation and centration issues. So I thought this paper was a really honest attempt to explore what is the evidence behind the limitations that we've set. And there's also evidence in some large pediatric centers of performing laser vision correction in pediatric patients in treating resistant unilateral and nizometropic amblyopia in bilateral refractive amblyopes. And it's not uncommon these days to find late adolescents coming in for assessments, for example, wanting to get into the military or the Air Force, um, you know, despite the absence um, of refractive stability. So at the end of the day, no one wants young adults being visually impaired for life with super thin corneas that don't see well and they become ectatic over time. And that's the real fear. And I think the onus is on us to critically evaluate the data and see what the evidence bears out. So what did they do in this, in this article? What was the study designed? How was the study designed? So this was a single-centre retrospective case series performed between 2003 and 2015, and initially they had identified uh, 55 such patients that met uh, criteria 
um, for laser vision correction in this age group and eventually ended up with 47 of 25 eyes because they wanted to choose eyes with at least three years of minimum follow-up time. And their primary outcome measures were looking at the long-term efficacy, safety, and stability of the refractive error. And the secondary outcome measures was looking to see whether there was a relationship between the post-operative spherical aberration and the long-term stability of the refractive error, or in other words, myopic progression. And so the mean age of the final study group at the time of the surgery was about 18 and three quarter years. And the mean age at final age of follow-up was about 30 years. There was a pretty even mix between males and females. And there was also a mix of microkeratome LASIK, the way that uh, we used to perform a lot of our LASIK cases. And now we've progressively moved towards all laser LASIK options. Um, and so this accounted for about 76%. It's important to note that in this study, loss to follow-up was significant. This was some 30 out of the 55 pre-selected cases. And this was thought to be due to the fact that they were either limited geographically and coming back for follow-up, and probably because their vision was good and they saw really no incentive to come back and uh, finish the results of someone's study. So how many patients did they enroll in the end? So in the end, it was 47 eyes of 25 patients. Okay. So a small small study, but a significant one. And just a bit of clarification, can you explain how spherical aberration influences myopic progression? Sure. So in the pediatric population, we believe that peripheral hyperopic defocus is the main associative factor with excessive eye growth, that's axial length um, elongation and myopic progression. And we looked at, um, you know, there's a lot of data out there now looking at myopia control in terms of glasses, contact lenses, orthocase. And the principle in these is that they all induce peripheral myopic defocus at the same time as correcting the refractive error. And this is proven to be capable of slowing or even stopping axial length growth of the eye and therefore slowing down myopic progression in this population group. And so... Theoretically, they wanted to see whether induction of anterior corneal spherical aberration at the same time as correcting their myopic prescription might actually also improve peripheral defocus and have maybe some role to play in slowing progression of myopia as well as maintaining good unaided visual acuity results. So what did their results show? Overall, at the last visit, 85% of eyes had an uncorrected distance visual acuity of 612 or better. 77% with 6.9 or better, and 64% with 20.20 or better. And of those that did drift over time, their spherical equivalent only changed by about half a diopter in 33% of eyes. And no eyes lost two or more lines of corrected distance visual acuity. So with time, the post-operative uncorrected distance visual acuity did show a mild but significant deterioration of one to two Snellen lines. So this tended to be in the area of myopia. So they had a mean increase of about, about a half a diopter over time. And this really isn't much when compared to their baseline unaided function where the mean baseline visual acuity was about 648. Importantly, the corrected distance visual acuity remained stable over time, which was statistically significant. And what this means in real terms is that you might get a patient who was previously 636, 648, 
who now spend the majority of their time at 6.6 and perhaps drifts to approximately 6.7.5 or 6.9. And this is still a marked improvement in terms of visual freedom and quality of life for these patients. And if they do choose to pursue a corrective visual method for the resultant residual error that builds up over time, you're still just looking at a mild touch-up if their pachymetry is thick enough or a mild correction with their contact lenses or glasses, but still ultimately able to drive and function very independently with minimal limitations to their lives. So what were the author's conclusions? So they concluded that specifically LASIK for myopia in the late adolescent group, so if we remind ourselves, this is 17 to 20-year-olds, is safe and effective. Their efficacy index was 1.01, which decreased slightly over time. The safety index remained at 1.06. There is a mild myopic progression that occurs, and there's really no cases of corneal lactasia reported in this small study. So although the presence of refractive stability is preferable before undergoing laser vision correction, if necessary, myopic LASIK provides relatively good outcomes in the long term in this patient group. What was done well in the study and what could they have done better? So I think we first need to recognize that this is a vulnerable population and a well-designed randomized control trial would be quite challenging to pass through ethics approval. And I think all things considered, they did quite well. I mean, follow-up time was approximately nine years with a minimum three-year follow-up. They included a mix of microkeratome and femtolaser-assisted cases. So this is real-world data. And they also, you know, over time had experience on different excimer laser platforms. So as the technology improved, um, this I think this is just contributing to the real-world nature of these results. The weaknesses of this study is obviously it's quite small. It's a retrospective. Um, you know, there's the retrospective nature of this study. There's no control group. Three years is still pretty short and they're still pretty young at that age. And so longer term follow-up would be ideal. But critically, this didn't look at axial length. And that's one of the weaknesses of having a retrospective study. And this is the one parameter, as we alluded to in the beginning, that has the strongest correlation to myopic progression. Um, I think that it would have been also better to include what happened to those cases that they referred to that they didn't describe in this study, such as any documented intraoperative complications, because this is, you know, a vulnerable group that might be a little bit more susceptible to um, defocus or, you know, poor fixation or anxiety during the procedures. And they also didn't really address any other vision correction options other than LASIK, so no PRK and no SMILE. And of course, the, the lead author of this study is part of the Medical Advisory Board of CSO. So do you have some take-home messages for us after reading this article, Tanya? It will certainly make me at least reconsider my own reticence to undertake laser refractive surgery in these patients. I would still be more comfortable with more research to confirm the reported safety and efficacy outcomes reported in this study. And I mean, the data is out there. The military, you know, certainly in the US, performs laser vision correction on thousands of individuals in this age group from 18 to 21 year olds. And these individuals are subjected to annual vision checks. So the data is out there and probably just needs to be looked at critically. I think it's imperative that we properly define safety parameters for use of this technology so that we're not unnecessarily withholding it from those that might actually benefit from this quite a lot. I think most importantly, it propels us to critically evaluate the effect of myopic progression and its cessation with refractive surgery. You know, glasses are great, but they're not always 
practical, you know, in terms of high refractive error, contact lenses don't carry an insignificant morbidity. And atropinization in terms of, um, you know, the 0.01 or 0.1% dilute atropine uh, has issues with compliance and needs to be taken for several years. So, you know, it is an exciting possibility to think that refractive surgery might play a role in cessation or at least preventing progression of myopic um, of myopic or axial length elongation. So watch this space. Absolutely. Watch this space. <laughs> thanks, Tanya. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me again. Thank you for joining us today on 10 Minutes of Science. See you next time.